Greetings and salutations. You are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CEDH. I am one of your hosts, Lyndon, also known as Noobzors, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Matt, aka Null. What's up, everyone? Reed, aka Sick Robot. Hey, what's up? And Morgan, aka Spleenface. How's it going? Uh, in this episode, we're going to be covering the speed of the format that is CEDH. How fast is it? What turn is the fundamental turn? What does that even mean to talk about the speed of a format? Um, but before we get into that, what have you guys been up to since the last episode? Well, I for one have been demonstrating the dominance of the deck that I play. <laughs> Dude, do regale us. local. Um... <laughs> <laughs> So, as as you who listen to the podcast might know, especially those of you who live in good old-fashioned Toronto, great city, um, we have... <laughs> Shout out to the six. Yeah. We have CDH nights on Thursdays, which happens to be yesterday because we're recording this on a Friday. Um, so, we've got some games in, uh, which was me, Morgan, and Matt. We're all there, hanging out. Uh, first game of the night. Um, unfortunately, I had to mulligan my first hand. Which was not great. I had to mulligan my second hand because it had no lands and was also not great. Uh, my six was fine, except for the fact that it had both a Kozlak and a Nomads on core in it and no gas. So that's that's basically a four. So already. that was basically a five, and then that five was basically a four. So needless to say, mulligan to four, not great. Um, <laughs> immediately, as soon as Morgan realized this, his immediate quote, and I do quote. Guys, we cannot let Reed win this game. Because that would be terrible. I'm tacking on the because, because that would be terrible. Because it would be terrible to let somebody win on a Mulligan awful, 4. Awful Mulda 4, yeah. <laughs> legitimately legitimately <laughs> terrible. That being said, I wanted a Mulda 4, so... Uh, <laughs> not Dude, bad. You took your, the deepest, the longest and deepest dab on Morgan. It was great. In that it was game. definitely also, a long game. Also, I did not I didn't mention this to Lyndon when we were discussing this in pre-show, but I did in fact win that game on one life. Oh, and I nice. won I won the one in three for the Vile Smasher player to resolve a Vile Smasher trigger to kill me. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> dude, you gotta get the you gotta get the lucky rub ins. Oh yeah. Dude. Oh yeah. Yeah dude first you have to get unlucky by mulling to four <laughs> yep. because that's and losing yeah. literally every single crit roll the entire game. Well, that one too. Sounds sounds like and it he had was seven fun. counter backup. Sounds like it was fun for the whole family. Um, for I oh <laughs> oh sorry go, go ahead. ahead. I was no, gonna go say this is one that uh that actually includes uh Morgan Matt and myself. Uh, we went to our friend's wedding and his bachelor party, so that was that was sick. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Um, he doesn't play magic yet until he receives his um, gift. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we hook him up with the commander. We did commander. try. We did yeah. try. <laughs> no, um, and then also, uh, this is actually really exciting. Uh, I've met up with some guys who were interested in playing CDH who I met from the subreddit, the CDH subreddit, and uh, found out that they were they lived really close. And uh, we're starting like a regular CDH night uh, once a week, uh, close to me, just outside of uh, Toronto. In the and small rural community of Guelph. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, the guys are the guys are super sick. So uh, I know they're going to be listening to this. So you know, props to Mark and Derek and Chris. You guys are sick. Good games. <laughs> Look forward to playing more <laughs> with you guys. Um, yeah. Anything else uh, you guys want to share? Sure. So uh, CDH night yesterday was uh, was not my night. I didn't draw land in my first twenty ish draw steps of the night. But uh, I did go to the 2v2 tournament, the monthly one that we've mentioned before. Uh, I think we mentioned it every episode. <laughs> every episode. <laughs> Literally every well, episode. every second episode. There, there is not an episode uh, that goes by without being mentioned. And uh, we, t- uh, me and my partner, Tom, friend of the podcast, uh, took Teferi, Time Raveler, and Kess Consultation. And the only game we lost was the game where I shuffled my wishboard into my deck by mistake and was issued a game loss but apart from that uh did pretty well yeah we've already said enough about how to carry is busted in that <laughs> format <laughs> i think i think they're technically done. it's gone experiment. it's yeah. gone we got it it's we don't have to deal with it anymore even though we, we weren't the ones dealing with it we were forcing other people to deal with it <laughs> no one else played to fairy besides uh you and Matt, or uh, <laughs> me, me and my partner Dave. But yeah, um, okay. I think that's uh, that's good. Unless Matt, you had anything you want to? Uh, no, not nothing really. Just still on the Opus Thief grind, looking to spice it up a bit. Hey, you maybe got tune a it to the meta a bit more, my friend. Dude, I did get a webcam. Um, it's it's still in the box. Uh, I have I do have a weekend, which is this weekend. So we'll be uh. You know, opening oh, it up. Is, is Matt gonna have <laughs> have bought a webcam, have it shipped to him, and then set it up before I set up my webcam that I already own? Oh, oh no, that's embarrassing. <laughs> kind of sounds like it, dude. And it's not even. I I've had this sitting on my desk for like t- maybe three I've, weeks now. I've had I've <laughs> had that webcam sitting on my table for about six months now. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Yeah, dude. Everyone, everyone who's listening, go check out PlayDH, the Discord. Jam some webcam games. You'll find Morgan, Matt, and I. Sorry, you'll find Morgan and I, and then maybe Matt. And you know who knows about Reed. You know it could be eventually six months. Trust me, I'll, I'll get there at some point. <laughs> and then you'll start playing on the ranked ladder. Hey, and he's definitely all the noobs on the points. server. I'm on the. I've That's been. The first I've step. been on the server. <laughs> okay. Well, without. Further ado, let's get into housekeeping, because there is some awesome stuff that we'd like to talk about, which is our new patrons. Woo! Uh, Holy moly. Congrats to new patrons. <laughs> no, like, yeah, it's awesome the amount of support that uh, yeah. that you guys are giving, and, you know, we really appreciate it. We're, we bought our mics, using the patron money to pay that off, and uh, hopefully pay our editor (laughs) at some point (laughs) yeah that's that's definitely uh it helps a lot so in no particular order i'd like to give a shout out to brian derek m thomas s tesmata justin d and of course keel kale keel Keel. i'm gonna go with keel K E I L. Everyone, it's four letters, and we're we're at a loss. So you know, but we seriously <laughs> appreciate. We do. It. Yeah, we we really do. I'm continuously surprised uh, by the support the community gives us. Um, thank you guys so much. Could not ask for a better community. 
to be completely honest. Yeah, come uh, come on the uh, the Discord and on our, our Discord and take advantage of your patron rewards and talk in our in your private channels and get you know listener questions ahead of everyone else. We also we also do, do we do have actual factual physical copies of Into the North now, which are primed and ready for being sent out. To all I gotta those. work on my signature, man. <laughs> gotta, gotta start <laughs> practicing. Uh, yeah, don't practice on the card, please. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I need to work on my handwriting more than my signature. Dude, Both. let's all just print our names in, like, the most, you know, <laughs> garbage. Yeah. Dude, bubble letters. I need a stamp. Somebody get me a stamp. Word art. Yeah. Um, awesome. So then, yeah, let's move on to new developments. And there's actually some pretty good ones here. Uh, Reed, why don't you kick things yeah, off with this? Yeah, there's a great one. Um... So for those of you who have been in the CDH community for at least a bit now, or have maybe entered the CDH community recently, um, or any time in like the past year, you might have heard about a resource called the CDH Deckless Database, um, which was a initiative started by Average Dragon of the CDH Discord and subreddit. And it is a CDH resource for primarily for Players who are just starting to get into the format do get a you know a snapshot cross section of what the CDH meta looks like. Um, it's a great great resource for having access to a bunch of the most you know well played and most popular lists in the format. Um, it's awesome just for I know I, I use it all the time for you know uh, brewing for just like looking through and making sure that like I know what lists are up to date great it's pretty extensive too there's a lot on there and there's more being added all the time uh got a facelift um average put in a lot of work to get its own dedicated website so you don't have to sift through the god-awful interface on google sheets anymore it's beautiful <laughs> well designed got some ui done um went through multiple iterations to make it look nice um it has filtering now you can search it correctly with search boxes um, there's tags, there's linked primers and linked Discord. It's great. You guys should check it out. Um, but we'll have a, we'll have a link when to that will my the, deck uh, be yes. added to the data? Um, I have a submission. So, speaking of such, uh, Average is also brought on, and I will disclose that I am part of this group, so, you know, fair, fair play. I am chilling this because I believe in the resource. Uh, but Average has brought on a group of editors as well, including myself, including uh, Average himself, Maynard Ferguson, Wedge, not of the mana source of CDH Discord fame, <laughs> uh, ASM, and I love that that's his, that that Wedge Wedge from the mana source as also born Wedge not from the mana source and Sagendraja, Sagendraja, I I Sug, come on, man, Sug, Sug, yeah. just tell me. Just give me the fucking description. All right. Um, but yeah, uh, great. So pretty much triple the size of the editing and maintenance team. Um, so we're getting through and trying to make sure that people's submissions are being reviewed and making sure that they're either getting added or getting responses to and all that stuff. So um, make sure to check it out. If you maybe notice a missing segment on there or a missing deck or anything like that, or you notice something wrong, uh, be sure to let us know. Uh, we have a Discord now for the CDH Decklist database that you guys can come to and let us know. 
talk about the database, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, check it out. Uh, link, and link for that will be in the description for the podcast. It now has Perrin Toothy. It does. Dude, Perrin Toothy's not bad. The deck's actually pretty legit. I was, I was, yeah, originally I didn't know about the flicker interaction, and then I learned the flicker interaction. Oh, it's disgusting. And I was like, oh, this, this is actually disgusting. pretty great. Dude. Yeah, dude. I played against, I was experimenting in a uh, no ban list, or very, very restricted ban list format, and I uh, played a game with someone who was playing a Pure and Toothy deck, and it was not bad. Um, yeah, and so uh, we've got one more thing on new developments, and that's M20. Uh, Morgan, you want to talk about M20 a bit? Uh, yeah, sure. So it was we we recorded a, a full on set review, but uh, <laughs> yeah, then there was a there was an, a a bit of an event that happened in in early July. If you are mm. alive, you pr- and play this format, you probably noticed it. Um, so that episode got a, a little scrapped. Um, we got a couple interesting new commanders in the form of Yerok. Uh, and Kikar, and no one else. And <laughs> we got a couple of interesting tech cards. Uh, Veil of Summer is stupid. The card's real Ooh, good. Great. Um, hot tamale. And then there's some spicier tech choices like uh, Tails End and Fry. And that's about and, it. And <laughs> uh, Virtus the Veiled is an interesting alternate reanimator target in decks that are running a few of those. Cool, cool, cool. See, oh, there was also a five-color something. Uh, a thing, yeah. <laughs> one of those things. Oh, I'll just let that slide. I won't address it. But, you know, don't play of- Golos. <laughs> Please don't play Golos. <laughs> There's this new Scout Tribal deck you can play. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sheep Tribal all over again. For anyone who's wondering, we in, in uh, university, we did a little league where we did a tribal league and uh, Matt decided he'd play Sheep Tribal, which was literally only Nick Fleece Ram. <laughs> a large portion of the available sheep in Magic. Yeah, okay. Well, okay, so let's get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, and that's talking about the speed of CDH. Now, what does that mean? Is that is that like the pervasive meme that that many casual players or and CDH naysayers will say that you know, oh my god, you know why would I play CDH? Everyone just combos out on turn two, or uh, game's always over by turn three. Yeah, exactly. It's it's always it's always that way. Or, or you know this this for it's, <coughs> like these games last only twenty minutes. Just everyone's race race to the bottom trying to combo first. Interaction. What's that? <laughs> yes is that is that really how you define the speed of a format does morgan do you want to talk about this sure um i think that the speed at which the so when we talk about the speed of a format no but i think that the more accurate statement is cdh is a turn three format or turn three is the fundamental turn and so what that means is decks can start consistently winning by turn three and you have to build your deck to respect the fact that decks can start to win reasonably consistently by turn three so that doesn't mean that the games will always win on turn three because people interact and and try and stop you from actually achieving that but if everyone was playing such that they were 
tapping out on turn three for like harmonize a lot of games would end on turn three and yeah i think it's not even sorry okay, yeah, go it's not even and like i don't think it's even necessarily that like even that everybody at the table can threaten to win on turn three it's just that turn three is the usually the turn where at least one deck at the table will be able to threaten to win right if they want yes to. which, which is yeah. a pretty important distinction right he's not saying yes. that every deck at the table will always be able to threaten the turn three win if they wanted to it's saying that there's a very very good chance that one deck at the table at least will be able to do that i think i'd, I'd even say that like in a balanced like cdh pod that consists of four decks that represent the metagame well that you should you you'll see a at least one or two decks that are ready to go off early that don't necessarily choose to but are certainly ready sort of how i view it is that in the all the the turns preceding the fundamental turn of the format which obviously the fundamental turn is something that changes depending on the format uh modern has is notoriously a turn four format um, allegedly but that's al- allegedly <laughs> but in in for for me and I kind of how I kind of view it in CDH is that the the turns preceding the fundamental turn sort of have an established play pattern uh, that everyone kind of routinely follows along with, and then that's sort of when you start to diverge. And I'll kind of um, elaborate on that. So turn one is ramp, uh, and I mean with if you're in like mono blue or mono black or some colors where you can't have consistent turn one ramp that doesn't necessarily change the fact that that is what the majority of cdh decks are trying to do on turn one that's hit your 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 mana dorks or your uh, carpet of flowers or you know do something like a uh mystic remora which is uh preying on the fact that people are trying to develop their mana on turn one uh turn two follows a uh I would call this like a development stage where people are developing their game plan. So they're either establishing some strong value engines like Timna's Sylvan libraries, or they're, they're tutoring proactively for uh, cards with, you know, demonic tutor for, to advance their combo plan or for protection or setup. Um, it's, it is turn two is the setup turn for the most part. Um, and people will sometimes, you know, if you're trying to do something like in Gitrog with the five cost commander, you'll, sometimes further develop your mana but that's what you're doing and then turn three is where things start this sort of consistent pattern starts to break down where some people who are doing their tutoring are now going to try to or could be threatening to combo um some people who did you know their turn to talisman or signet are just going to be holding up counter magic uh and turn three this is kind of where you get into stalemates and this is where things really get interesting uh at least that's how i kind of view it is there any any thoughts on that? I, I think that's a great um, that's a great description or, or a great like way of uh, introducing thinking about a turn X format or specifically that like you know CDH um, being a turn three. Um, I would say that I'd kind of cha- I'd, I'd change the the third turn a bit and I'd pretty much say it's it's when players choose um, uh, they they. It's when players choose to either interact with the decks that have best developed their mana or developed their resources or sit back 
uh, look at people and then try to combo. Yeah, it's definitely something where turn three, you're if you're if you're a deck like Gitrog or a non-blue deck, you're often trying to take advantage of the fact that other people are going to be have this expectation that people are could be trying to threaten a combo and i think a lot of this could be due to sort of flash and the way that uh it sort of affects the format and and enforces sort of negative or encourages these like negative play patterns of you can threaten interaction for you know you can hold up a one and a blue and threaten a delay while also threatening your win so people have a hard time this causes like a weird stalemate where you know most decks um outside of flash most combos are pretty uh obvious that they're being set up you know um you require some sort of obvious tutor to be cast and it can't win at instant speed so you can kind of see it coming um and otherwise it requires like the stone cold nuts to combo off but yeah so if you're a deck like gitrog or a non-blue deck you're trying to do things on turn three that are very proactive to your game plan like turn three a lot of the the five drop commanders are built around casting their commander on turn three very consistently um and that's to get your value engine online and then also to threaten combos so it is there is every deck has a fundamental thing that they want to be doing on turn three and it is dependent on everyone else in the pod usually yeah and i think and that's when that's, yes, also, that's also sort of where flash starts to break things right where like yeah flash starts to be like you your pivotal turn becomes turn two more more consistently yeah and, and that, that format, which sort of interferes it throws the whole things. thing off oh, i think i think another one of the sort of unhealthy things that not, not that i want to make this whole episode about flash <laughs> but one of the things that flash has also done that sort of indirectly exacerbates that is um it's made turn order like even more significant because if for example the flash hook player is going first like now people there's a lot of pressure on people on turn two for them to not tap out for the flash hook players turn three so it actually allows you to pressure what normally is a safe development turn based on seating order or a safe yeah. development term one of the other things, too, about uh, turn three in CDH is that, you know, I'm just piggybacking off what you were saying with turn order, is that if everyone has some kind of thing that they can do proactively to develop their game plan on turn three if they wanted to, and it's typically considered a greedy play, right? So if you wanted to tap out for Xur on, on turn three, tap out for Kess turn three, tap out for, I mean, obviously you're going to tap out for Gitrog turn three because you're not going to be threatening interaction. But, you know, you tap, play out, run out your Timna or your Thrasios. These sorts of things are... You can kind of pass the buck on to the next player, depending on where you're seated in turn order. Um, and, and you know, what you were saying with uh, with Flash sort of breaking this kind of paradigm. You're... You kind of lose the ability to, to pass the buck. Because you just... You can't, you can't risk it, Right? If you're if you're uh, going first and you've got your uh, you have the option to cast a turn three Zer or a turn three Kess because you just want to kind of get that nice development established and have your turn four 
you can be threatening interaction and advancing your game plan uh, without, you know, breaking too much sweat. That's fine. But you do pass, like, so if, if for instance, if we're, if we're saying it's Xur in, in seat one, taps out for, for a uh, turn one Xur, the players two and three and four are going to be kind of looking at each other saying, okay, well, we've got to deal with this. It's it's something that you need to be aware of and, you know, passing the buck to the next player is something that you just can kind of, you can't get away with with uh, Flash in the format. And not necessarily like it was something that you could get away with consistently beforehand. Um, I, like, just from personal experience, having played Hackball, um, the deck tends to want to stick Momir turn 3 a lot and it was... It's not always safe, and I'm sure noobs, you have the same experience. Like even without flashing the pod, um, yeah. But now it like it, it, there's just a lot higher chance that you die, and it's a lot less dependent on turn order um, for tapping out, which is basically what Spleen and noobs were both saying there. Yeah, if, if you were to if you were to get rid of flash, I think it's it's actually kind of reasonable that. Um, you might. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it advances the the fundamental turn of the format to another like all the way up to four, right? I don't think you go it, 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 turn one. You know, you don't get your turn one ramp, turn two development, then turn three further development, then turn four. It, you kind of got to be ready. It resets it through a because softer that, turn three though, as opposed to like yeah, like a three point five. A right lot now. of the turn threes would require a lot more obvious development. Yes, that too. Like. You know, when when Kess can turn three or, or whatever, you know, they they opened land soaring signet and then you went, Okay, I guess, you know, we have to respect this turn three uh this turn three win. But you see that. Whereas with Flash Hulk, you know, they could go land dork, land Sylvan Library, and step tutor win. Yeah, so I think I was I was a bit rambly with my thing about passing the buck. I'll, I'll just try to make it a bit more uh, clear and concise, so that if if you were to get rid of Flash and everyone was sort of taking on this turn three as a further development, it's not a necessarily sustainable play pattern because the people in the early seats get their turn four before you get your turn four, where you can hold up your interaction, quote unquote, right? Like, so the the Zer player taps out for Zer on turn three. And then if you're also developing, if the player two, three, and four are doing their development on turn three as well, then the, the Zer player untaps and wins uncontested. So that's why it wouldn't go all the way up to turn four, because many of these decks do have consistent turn four wins. Um, but the turn 3.5, you know, where some people can get away with, with going further into development and then you maybe get a bit of a stalemate going on with interaction and everyone checking each other's win attempts. Yeah, that's a that's a good way of, of putting yeah. it. Like where you can much more you can also you can just much more accurately judge whether or not turn three is safe for development. Yeah, so in terms of fast decks in a format, so it's not because there's there's fast decks and there's slow decks and mid-range decks. And while everyone is prepared to interact on turn three and, and they're built the decks are built around this fundamental turn, Muldrotha, 
I mean, yeah, digging Morgan's Morgan's favorite pet deck, but uh, you know, not not necessarily a uh, tier one tier one God, deck. Low blow. You take uh, that back. Low blow. <laughs> M- Moldrotha is good for creating examples. That's what Lynn is trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> Moldrotha. Moldrotha is not going to be threatening a turn three win. Moldrotha is definitely trying to take advantage of that development phase. Um, so it's not a fast deck, right? And all the decks that are built around turn three, uh, doing something on turn three, either interacting or, or developing or going for the win. You can still. They're, they're not all fast decks just because the format is quote unquote fast. Right, Moldrotha is a slow, grindy deck. It's going to grind you. Out. That's how it's going to win. It's going to slam Azur's weirding with counter backup, and then everyone is going to cry God, because they're never going to draw a good card ever it's, it's again. It's going to slam it. Moldrotha <laughs> can win on turn one. What do you mean it's, it's not dude, fast? It's going <laughs> to slam an Ashiok and just down take it on itself until you want to just die. Exactly. So there are there are decks that do, you know, pride themselves on being fast decks but it's fast relative to the rest of the format right because you you there's it's hard to to be in an objective because some of the 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 slower grindier decks would be fast by uh mid power standards or you know by modern standards or (laughs) every single one of them Like, yeah, maybe and, exactly not Yasan. <laughs> Dude, Yasan with LED, yeah, so just get there. Continue. It's what 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 is <laughs> what what makes a fast deck is is when it is planning to try to win the game, right? So that there is a fundamental turn in the format, um, and then there's when you're trying to win the game, and these are these are different concepts to kind of uh, wrap your head around. And what marks a fast deck is where that turn they're trying to win the game, whereas where that is positioned relative to the fundamental turn. So if you are trying to consistently put out turn three wins or threaten wins on turn three, and you're not looking to develop or, or try to take things super long, you're a fast deck. And in order to get away with that, you need to have um, just, we can we can kind of, slowly creep into this topic but a metric that people use for uh for trying to measure the speed and and when this kind of win threatening turn falls is uh is the deck's goldfish which you know i'm sure everyone listening knows what goldfishing is but the idea being that it's a term that was you're playing against your your pet goldfish right you you've got your 60 cards or 100 cards and you're just drawing hands and and playing cards out and seeing how fast it takes to win the game so that's kind of what we use as like an objective standard quote unquote objective standard to uh figure out how fast you can possibly go and how consistently you can do it flash hulk hermit druid decks those are fast decks they can well, consistently threaten their win very early. Well, they're fast decks on the goldfish. Yes. Are they fast decks in reality? Like that's, I think this is all fixed, that's yes. an interesting topic to to get into. Pro- I would say probably the fastest deck from a play pattern perspective. That's like a substantial share of the meta is food chain at this point. Like that's a deck that is looking to win early and not extend the game. Like it doesn't yeah. have the equivalent of the 
turn of the turn one land dork, turn two land Timna plan that a lot of Hulk decks. I think a lot of their frequent play pattern. It, it, I suppose you're saying it's it's, it's yeah. a deck that threaten it's a deck that um, needs to threaten is trying to win by turn three, but then actually accomplishes that rather than like actually accomplishes that in a real game rather than just a goldfish. Yeah, like the game plan when you sit down with that deck is to win on turn three or turn four, and your odds your odds of winning the game significantly diminish every turn beyond your your win the the time beyond the early turns when you're trying to really aggressively push for the win like first first sliver does not have the same grind capabilities as something like thrasios temna or Gitrog as a or Muldro- i mean Muldro- but Muldrotha isn't isn't pretending to be a fast deck but Gitrog people people you can goldfish Gitrog. it's it's not close to the fastest decks in the format but it's it's a relatively fast combo deck um but it's got a solid grind option by just casting the Gitrog monster and riding off your draw triggers. Um, First Sliver does not have something like that. So I, I think that's a it's an interesting point you bring out is if you have that kind of backup plan and you don't hate going into that, are you are you still a fast deck? Do you just slow down by default because you you're just like, Is that yeah, is that well, what kind to, of defines a mid range deck? Um, I, I think it's. It I think less analogous than mid range is the concept of tempo, like where you play just enough. <laughs> play that's, a, that's such a. I'm sorry. That's such a nebulous term in this format. It's so hard to. Sorry. It's so hard to what, So tempo. what I what I mean by what I mean by tempo is rather than playing. So mid range plays slightly heavier threats. I would say than, uh, than fast decks or aggressive. It, it goes over formats. aggro. Whereas I would say tempo plays a small, like a, a low to the ground threat and then looks to be more disruptive. And like an aggressive deck just looks to play its threats as fast as possible. A mid range deck plays slightly like heavier threats. And then a tempo deck has a smaller number of fast threats and more disruption. And if perhaps, you look at CH lists, there's a there's a lot of reactive instance in them. Perhaps it'd be it'd be uh, instructive to list some decks that are commonly understood to be fast decks, or decks that are just trying to form this linear game plan of trying to win as fast as possible, and their odds get diminished every turn beyond that beyond that term they're they're trying so, to win. So we'll we'll talk so, linear fast decks, I think. Right. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. pretend it's 2017. And <laughs> Silvala and Grenzo 2016. are on top <laughs> Yeah. So, Grenzo, you know, cast your Grenzo turn one or two, resolve a Doomsday, activate Grenzo, win the game. Count to five. Let's That's go, baby. And <laughs> you're, you have <laughs> garbage, absolutely garbage, uh, <laughs> uh, card quality generally, and almost no grind. You so, pretty much get two shots at your Doomsday, right? Because it's Doomsday and then that one card that can bring it back. Uh, yeah, you <laughs> recoup. Get exactly. Oh, what is it? Oh, I'm gonna miss it. Recoup. It's recoup. Yeah, recoup. Yes. Oh wait, but recoup has flashback. Yeah, but it doesn't matter because right? the Doomsday's exile. <laughs> yeah, oh true. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, Damn. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Brostorm, Brostorm, Silvala, where it's yeah. like turn one Landor, turn two Silvala, turn three, try and win the game yeah. was the the uh, idea um, every time. The DC Mono Black yeah. DC. Uh, Vanifar. Vanifar. <laughs> Show my own deck. Uh, we're doing that. Godo. Uh, Godo has been for the longest time just a uh, all in try to win as fast as possible deck but recently has been transitioning away from that out of necessity to kind of adapting to the meta and i think you know that's good, yeah 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 as morgan said we're we're looking back Our we're going time machines so is Veralza old enough but- yet i think it is <laughs> i mean i think the current meta is very hostile to sort of decks that are like the the fast decks that are often referred to as glass the, the ones that we have mentioned <laughs> Yeah, yeah. These these kinds well, of plus decks. the others that there's just yeah, too the decks much that you interaction. don't see too much yeah. anymore. Uh, yeah. Farm decks as well. Farm decks sort of maybe less so, but still definitely fall in this category in my opinion. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like the the difference between farm and farm decks is that they're kind of always lethal. They don't really run out of potential as the game gets because late. I think farm decks it very much depends on how you pilot them, like what category they fall into yeah. they can very easily be played a little bit slower like tim every game plan or ad nauseum as soon as possible every game plan but yeah like those those are yes. really like considered the classic the the classic glass cannon fast combo decks right yeah and i think and they that? they contribute to what defines the format to be the the fundamental turn and, and blah 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 and why casual players and will think, say uh you know everyone ever just trying to end the game as fast as possible i think some of the classic gold fishing spreadsheets from those also influence a lot of what people think of as the top speed of the format right because that was sort of the i don't know for me at least i don't know about you guys but for me i noticed that this is probably like the golden age of spreadsheets CDH. <laughs> Everybody was keeping a spreadsheet, um, and a lot of the spreadsheets were goldfish spreadsheets um, for these decks. Because I think at the time, a lot of people thought, "Hey, goldfishes are pretty good ways to compare decks." You don't see them as much anymore. I think it's a lot more of an abstract term now. I think it's a. I don't know. You, you guys yeah, might have the same it experience. It was definitely a but... bit of a flash in the pan. I think in terms of everyone was just super jazzed about getting their their deck list to have the the link with oh you know i've goldfished this deck a hundred times and here's my uh list of all the turns and here's my data breakdown and blah 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 because you know all for all that sweet reddit karma right yeah but like i think can confirm spreadsheets are a great way to get reddit karma. i think i think i think that was and, really uh, tapped out likes and views i think that's really like a reason or at least a um it it's sort of a yeah i guess i guess it is a reason um a reason why people think the format is as fast as it is, or the reason why people think that it's a turn three format for like every deck, right? Yeah. Um, when it, I don't, I don't necessarily think it is right. I think the just when people use goldfishes as their base for, you know, what they base their perception of the speed of the format off of, it's inflated. Because obviously it's a goldfish and you're not playing against other people. But also because of sort of like the mentality of like what you're doing when you're goldfishing. 
I think one of the important things is you need to distinguish between the fundamental turn of the format and when people are winning the yes. game. Now, we just talked a lot about fast decks who are trying to win the game as early as you know possible, so definitely going to be threatening wins around the fundamental turn. But I think we did a pretty good job um, explaining that the fundamental turn is is about respecting other people and having interaction and being prepared for that. So many decks are are one of the reasons why these glass cannon decks are falling out of favor is that strategies that have a solid backup plan and can survive and, and thrive in the long game are becoming almost essential. Like these, these kinds of strategies, you can't, you can't, uh, because the, 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 the stalemate of interaction is going to stall the game out longer naturally. And then you, if you want to maintain a high win rate, you need to be able to have some sort of game plan in that instance. Because people will be prepared, unless you're getting like a turn two uh, combo, like you're doing your Godo Treasonous Ogre nonsense, or uh, obviously Flash Hulk can <laughs> combo turn two yeah, very maybe, easily. Yeah, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> it's unless you're you're doing you're you're not going to get away with that kind of stuff on turn three as easily. So. Turn three is the fundamental turn of the format, but the ga- the the time when the game is actually over, that's probably much later. I'd say like, you know, turn five, turn six on average, something like that. If I was to ha- if I was to hazard a guess, probably even longer depending on what the meta looks like. I mean, obviously, yeah, it's certainly very honestly, very very like I think on average, my longest games of Commander are competitive games. Oh, yeah. I mean, we also like, I, I, do play a lot of competitive games compared to the amount of casual games we play. Well, I, I, if I look into the past as far as I can see, like... Okay, sure, sure. Know, hundreds of games. Yeah, I've, I've definitely... My longest game was a competitive game that was like three and a half, four hours or something like that. I mean, that was a grind. I played Mono Rats Daxos for a while, so maybe, <laughs> maybe some of my longest games were that deck. But yeah, definitely I've had a lot of very long competitive games, like two hours plus. Uh, yeah, and in terms of in terms of the uh, the conception that many casual players have, I I think it is a problem that is exacerbated by the fact that we use this fundamental term lingo among people who are knowledgeable of the format we say you know yes edh is a turn three format and sorry just and and i think that gets misinterpreted just sort of to tackle well, the that. term itself doesn't pack enough doesn't pack enough context yeah. and it's also it's it's right i like, think it's it gets used a lot by people who have experienced magic and maybe like competitive magic sort of like spiky magic in general because that term gets used in a lot of other formats as well um I think maybe mm, people yeah. in casual EDH don't necessarily have that context, um, so they take it to mean something different than I think what a lot of like maybe the competitive magic community uh, would take fundamental turn as right. Yeah. So here's here's an interesting uh, little thought in how what's the latest possible like average goldfish you think you can have in a deck? So how how quote unquote slow can your deck be and still be considered a CDH deck? Are we talking right? when we say goldfishes? Like, are we talking about sort of playing to your game plan or literally just trying to win as fast as possible? 
just trying to win as fast as possible. And also, what are we considering? CDH is the question here. It seems well, like that's, that's, yeah, I that's mean, the I think question. The, this question has an obvious answer, and that answer is yes, on. Sorry? I think that this question, like, I think that Yisan, any deck that can't consistently win as fast as Yisan is, I have some questions. <laughs> it's probably too slow, sorry to say. <laughs> like, that's a deck that is, its main, like, it really struggles to win early, and that's fine, because or fine-ish, because the idea is that you're getting disruptive pieces with your commander starting on like turn three but that deck the way it wins pushes it probably to turn five pretty much all the time yeah and well turn five turn five is the um there there is a line that will absolutely win you the game on turn five so it's going to be assuming you have a turn two yes on which is a reasonably safe assumption but well i was gonna i was gonna say i think the the average Sorry, the average goldfish combo would be something just shy of, of turn five, so maybe like four point five or something, four point six. Yeah. But but, but so, that, so, that's probably the the upper end of decks that are considered CDH, but can't really threaten wins much sooner. Like I guess what I would say is Yisan is the deck where, or is definitely a contender for the deck where the commander is doing the most, pulling <laughs> the most and, weight. <laughs> And that's, like, if that's a deck where, like, any deck where the commander's doing less than what Yisan's doing has to be able to win faster. And there isn't a deck where the commander's doing more than what Yisan's doing. So, what's, if you had to hazard a guess as to Muldrotha's <laughs> goldfish God, what, you're, you're super fixated on Muldrotha today, huh? Yeah, jeez. I think, well, I think Muldrotha is, is a, just, a solid example of a deck that's trying to you know, we've talked about it being a parasitic deck. Interesting before, case study. It's akin where, to Marin. Yeah, it's you're you're trying to take advantage of the fact that um, glass cannon decks are out of favor and they're just not that great. So people are trying to take the games longer, and you just excel in the late game, while also being able to still interact on on the early turns, right? So you you forgo you forgo the cheap easy wins uh, in the early game for more consistent grind-out wins. But... I think I this think is generally... I think you can classify this as uh, Muldrilitha is uh, th a deck that's trying to win last. Yeah, for sure. It's trying yeah. to win when everyone else is out of resources. Um, but if I... I haven't done this because I don't think it's a useful experiment. I suspect that if I was truly going deep and potentially made a couple like undid I, I recently added a bunch of planeswalkers that are sort of dead in that sort of scenario if i wasn't doing that um i think that i could still get a lot of turn fours and like most of the other ones would be turn five and these would be like terrible these would be like i'm gonna tutor the pieces and then just led out moldrotha and then win from hope there. i don't get my shit exiled yeah. So, like, this is this is jamming LED into having done nothing to prevent myself just dying to and, being interacted. And even with. then, you're probably looking at like what, like a four point five 
four point I like bet seven it would, I, I think it would be closer to four than five. Like it's just not that hard to find the pieces. There's also the Razaketh. So like That's it's not that hard to entomb reanimate Razaketh. It's not that hard to find like if I can find intuition plus LED and cast them like that's a win. So I think, like, I think the important yeah. takeaway from the discussion on Gissen and Muldrotha is that it's it's not winning being able to consistently goldfish, you know, turn three does not a CDH deck make. It's it's about being on a plan for having a solid game plan and route to win the game and being able to interact with other decks in the format that have not necessarily the same plan, but that, that do have a plan. So you need to be able to, to interact and prevent their plan while advancing your plan. And Starting if you can on turn three that, consistently. Yeah. You need to have yeah. reasonable access to a win condition. Not necessarily in turn three. You just have to have a reasonable access to a win condition and then also be able to do something to like actually do stuff on turn three. So... We did talk about how the goldfish number itself isn't isn't the sort of be all be all end all in terms of is a deck CDH is it a quote unquote fast deck you know we we talked about first sliver and maybe not necessarily being um, it being a fast deck but not necessarily being a glass cannon um, but in terms of goldfishing I know. Uh, Reed, you had you had some things you want to say about it. Yeah, um, I think I, it's just important to talk about. It, I think to continuously keep discussion on goldfish around because there are a lot of goldfish numbers around and just lying on the floor and just lying around on deck pages and whatever. I think when people do consistent turn one, uh, when people five, yeah. when people check out deck lists or look at old deck lists or when other misinformed people use goldfish as a reference <laughs> and more misinformed people or uninformed people rather listen to the misinformed people um i think it's very easy yeah what's the number actually it's, it's very for? easy to pick up a number that looks like a very empirical number and it's a number with a digit and then a period and then three more digits and it looks very fancy it looks very mathematical um you can't you can't just use them as a direct comparison to say one deck is better no. than the other. Um, and that's the big thing that I'm trying to get at. And I'll get a bit deeper into it. I'll provoke some more discussion, as is <laughs> as is classic. Um, but yeah, the the idea being that like you probably shouldn't be using goldfish as the empirical standard to judge a deck on in effectively any scenario, really. Um, except in, if you're in specifically an argument about hypothetical fastest wins in decks <laughs> in a vacuum, in a vacuum. yeah, um, yeah. Uh, aside from that it, it's really not it, useful to use them as direct comparisons uh, between decks because you know like decks, decks play counter magic well like like some of the fastest decks in the forum play counter magic and removal and play like actual things even even and that's why flash even lightning even <laughs> lightning period, which is like not not a great deck but also like specifically built to be fast is still playing like pack negation and mental misstep and stuff right so like it's just like yeah. people people are gonna play cards that lower their goldfish because they're good cards so as soon as like i it's just like as soon as you're playing cards that 
don't increase your goldfish, it stops being a like really a useful point of comparison in a vacuum. Yeah, I think I think some important things to note are that yeah, as, as you were pointing out, people include cards to increase their uh, goldfish, and that is not necessarily going to improve your deck or your win rate, which is the best metric we have for measuring the relative power of a deck is win rate, which unfortunately is something that uh, is really hard to get a really nice statistic for because player skill factors a lot into uh, into your, your deck performance and also the sample size is very it's, low. It's really hard to get a game against the average pod <laughs> is the issue here. And it's and, and, and you know, it's it's so easy for people to kind of cling on to something like the goldfish number because there are no other easily, al- almost scientifically obtained, uh, close pseudo scientific, quanti- quantifiable. <laughs> but I mean, you can you can come up with a set of, of criteria well, for a goldfish, just goldfish it a hundred times, a thousand times, and you're gonna get a number. And the procedure can be followed uh, rigorously, and but. The problem is, is that the number isn't super useful. Yeah, you're not studying the right phenomenon, no matter how rigorous you are in your study. The more rules you put yeah. on goldfishing procedure, like, generally the more removed the goldfishing number becomes from actual gameplay is the issue here. Yeah, well, and, and people, people are just very eager to have some sort of quantifiable number or some sort of way to quantify the, uh, the power level between decks. Or rather, I don't... Sorry. They want some way to say that their deck is definitively I will clarify that statement because I know that Morgan's getting triggered in the background here. <laughs> Give me a second. Um, <laughs> no, sorry, it's not that it will... It's not that adding more criteria, more restrictions to um, how you play out goldfishes will remove it from reality, but you, there's a trade-off there. If you add more restrictions, it's not going to be applicable to any deck lists aside from that specific deck lists. And if you remove them, then it's harder to quantify between decks. And it removes it from the original yeah, game. I also think that the goldfish number is kind of like a, it kind of came out of like a weird like community competition type oh, situation 100%. where it really takes one person to just it really takes one person person to be like this deck is consistently winning on this turn for other people to be like okay well my deck has to have this property right it's like because it's so e- it's because it's so easy to gra- gravitate towards you know as we've mentioned like digestible things like numbers uh, I think goldfishing truly is important is truly useful and exactly not determining how fast your deck can win like i think the the valid data to to gather in a goldfish is how effective or how unified your game plans are rather than that's actually a great point you no know, like, like rather, i mean yeah i think i think also one thing that it's a little more useful for it's it's a little more useful as a lower bound yes where if you're like goldfishing a deck and you're going like okay even trying to win as fast as possible, I'm really having a lot of turn sixes here. That's that's like, the really yeah. That's uh, that's an indication that maybe your deck is not viable if it's incapable of consistently winning. Like abandoning play patterns, if you can't consistently win on, you know, let's say turn five on average by abandoning your normal play patterns. Then that means that your win cons are just too inaccessible. Yeah. 
That's a fair And also, the whole thing... Sorry, I'm I'm just going to get into this, because this is something that I've always wanted to discuss, because it makes me a bit annoyed, because I've noticed that whenever I goldfished decks in the past, there was never really a set way to quantify this. Um, Is that no no goldfish i i noticed that no like goldfish number ever will ever have a you know a, a whiff rate percentage next to it nobody nobody ever includes the oh and by the way i couldn't win the game in like 10 turns and x percentage of the games that i goldfish this in right i mean they kind of boil it down to a number it'd be much more useful to see the the full distribution yes. um people like people will yeah i'd like to see oh so sorry yeah it was just more like so you you goldfish like 100 games and you might have pulled a number out of that to get your average goldfish of 3.75 or whatever but you didn't actually tell us how many of those games you like mulled to three on or how many of those games you just absolutely whiffed on and just marked off as oh these are like turn five wins when you're actually not getting there like ever right yeah i mean it's certainly that that well that would be nice to know i think in a lot of decks it's not like if you play a hundred games and then two of them you just get wrecked like you, you, you know you keep two lands in a dork and your deck's like oh you wanted more mana yeah too bad then like if that happens one in a hundred games or two in a hundred games, chalking that up as a turn five inflates your average by, you know, point zero two turns or whatever the math works out. Yes, to. but I've definitely but seen. Yes, it, I've it, definitely it, seen goldfish numbers for decks where there definitely should have been a note beside them or a marker beside them saying this is definitely not as consistent as it may look. Yeah, certainly, certainly, I think. You have to be rigorous with your mulligans. Yes. Like, I think that it's very easy to not count. It's like, oh yeah, I went to four. Okay, we'll write that one off and start the next one. But that's like that's something that if you're going to come up with a number, you have to have honest mulligans. Um, so, anything else? Yeah, to I'd say be curious about- to see. Kind of. Yeah, sorry. I'll just. Uh, I'd be curious to see. Um, you know, an, an average goldfish win, in addition to um, a breakdown of the distribution of remaining cards in your hand, or just remaining resources. Like, okay, I'm winning consistently on turn three, but I actually have, I have a, a complete, a one complete open mana of, generally speaking, my best colors, and also either you know a counter spell or uh, a removal spell, for instance. Yeah, it'd be nice to see with you know, oh, I, these are the percentages of wins I had with counter backup. If I had, and, and sometimes uh, instead of just being like, oh, I could have gone for the win here. So this is the turn that I'm going to mark down on my spreadsheet saying like, if I, some way to encapsulate that that data point, as well as the fact that, well, I could just wait one more turn and have it be a protected, uh, a protected win. Based. Although I think, I think that, that's when, also quite useful. When you talk about waiting a turn and having it be a protected win, that also gets into, like, that's a thing where I think a lot of people when goldfishing don't realize how sort of inaccurate their play patterns are. It's not just, you know, I had ad nauseum 
And would I have just run it out on turn three versus would I have waited for an opportunity? It's also, would I have tutored ad nauseum or my dark ritual on turn two if I knew that I had three opponents, two of whom were on blue and... Like so, I think. Yeah, do I tutor and do I tutor ad nauseum, or do I, do I tutor Sylvan Library? Yeah, like Those I think that things, yeah. it's important not just to look at like when you look to go off. What if there was interaction, but also how the possibility of future interaction affects ideal play patterns for your deck. Basically, what we're saying is, yeah, a Sylvan Library is certainly more effective than an ad nauseum if your ad nauseum gets countered. <laughs> Draws you way more cards. Dude, that's why I run Spell Snare. Dude, Spell Snare gets so much. Gets Don't so tempt much. me. Dude, it gets it gets uh, tainted. So is there anything now. else to say about uh, gold fishing, or should we move on? Um, tangentially related is also just when I think if you looked at honest goldfish numbers, there are very few decks that have more turn threes than they do turn yes. fours. I would also like to agree with um, this. But the other sort of interesting thing is that in, like, when we talk about the fundamental turn in CDH, you might think, well, then shouldn't it be turn four and not turn three? You have three opponents, and so, in a way, the format is faster than the decks, because if every deck had, let's say, a 30% chance of being able to go off on turn three, then of the four decks in the pod, there's uh, basically a 75% chance that one of the decks could go off on turn three. Which is definitely something that I wanted to touch on. Um, And just like sort of compare that to um, maybe the difference of why CDH would be different than a 1v1 format in this way. And why you have to take that into context is in 1v1, you're, yeah, you're you're only looking at your opponent, right? And you're only dying as fast as your opponent's going to kill you. But in CDH, like, yeah, every, everybody, like maybe you have, two opponents that are not doing that well but you're just gonna die to the other one so it can be it can be very very easy to look at look at how often you personally die in a game of cdh and then apply that to saying well the fastest decks in the format always kill on this turn that i'm consistently dying on which is not true they the fastest decks in the format may only be killing you on that turn a third of the time but there are three of them in the pod so one of them is going to get you, right? Yeah. Now, I think we've been musing on all these <laughs> all these uh, theoretical aspects and definitions and sort of the philosophy behind fast decks and, and format speed. But let's get into some actual practical advice that we can... Or, or so some practical takeaways that we can give our listeners. And so let's talk about how card choices are affected by the speeds of the deck in a given format or meta. So we've kind of identified the fundamental turn as turn three. So how does how do, how do our listeners take that that information and translate that into evaluating cards or, or yeah, improving card evaluation, um, maybe picking better cards for their decks, you know, improving their decks, blah, blah, blah. Anyone, anyone want to, you know, t- take take the take on this? Uh, sure. Yeah. By the horns? Yeah, I, I've got a I've got one point to start it off. Uh, I think um, when you are thinking when you're choosing cards uh, for your given deck, um, and you're considering your metagame, the most important thing is to consider 
um, are you under or over representing um, the turn of your format or the turn of your metagame? So if you're up against a lot of slow decks, are you over representing dealing with the slower decks, which at, you know, simultaneously would compromise possibly being more proactive on earlier turns or the opposite? Are you too low on your disruption that you really can't handle a slow deck depending on your metagame? Morgan, did you want to jump in with something? Or? Yeah, just one of the one of the things that I have sort of noticed specifically is when you like in this format in particular, the when you look at uh, like the cost of cards, it's very difficult to play uh, non-disruptive, non-game winning three and more cost cards, but like three in particular is if you look at a lot of decks it's like okay what three drops are they running okay these three drops are very impactful um and like people are sort of there's a lot of cards that would be very reasonable to run at three or four mana or like seem like they should be um but you don't want to put them in your deck because when you tap out to play an example i often use is something like a ramanap excavator like if you tap out to play that you will get punished or if, if your plan is to tap out to play that you'll get punished for that you're gonna die yeah a big a big thing that you can sort of look at the to see the massive difference between uh two and three drops is the pervasiveness of dark confidant and just how low down the list something like a phyrexian arena would be on which three. is yeah, even right, like, in non-Timna decks like, where you don't actually care about I think the body. Arena is a, sees a single copy of play on the entire database, right? If I'm not mistaken. Which is like Josie. What, what, which, uh, which would be like Matt, I believe. I think exactly oh, Matt. Okay, yeah, it that. might be in Food Chain Gonti as well. Oh, sure. <laughs> <shocking. Yes. laughs> yeah, classic Food Chain Gonti. But yeah, the I, I think in terms of evaluating cards... And, you know, piggybacking off what Morgan was saying with the, the CMC, you need to sort of lay out what you're doing on each of your turns and what you're... Just lay out a rough idea of, of approximately what your deck's going to be doing on each of these turns. And obviously it gets much harder, you know, to project, you know, what am I going to be consistently doing on turn 7? Right? It's like, first of all, is the game going to get to turn 7? But then the more cards you draw, the more mana you get, the more options you have it's hard to say for sure what you're going to do. Um, so turn one dork, pretty easy, pretty obvious. If you're non-green, turn two signet or talisman or just some kind of mana rock, pretty easy, pretty obvious. So when you get to turn three, how much mana are you going to expect to, are you expecting to have? And for most people, I think that's probably going to be four mana. And obviously that varies with the quality and types of mana rocks you have or what you're going to be doing on your second turn if you're in a green deck. Are you going to develop mana more? But let's let's just use a uh, non-green deck as an example. Your turn, uh, your turn two signet, untap, play a land, four mana. Spending three mana to do something like develop a Phyrexian Arena leaves very little options because... There is not 
a whole lot of very, very strong cards on one. I mean, pretty much all of them get played, right? So you've got your uh, your your ponders, your preordains, uh, your your tutors. But it's also hard to remoras, remoras. <laughs> but it's 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 your 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 protection and things that you can um, you can threaten. So if you want to play a develop your game plan with a three mana spell and then hold up some sort of interaction, your your options get limited very quickly. Yeah, you can You've definitely got your creature removal and chain of vapor and some weakish counter spells. You can definitely punish people who hold up one mana because the, like they're restricted they they basically have to use free counter magic for artifacts and creatures like you have yeah, swan song and flusterstorm yeah. i guess you can spell pierce artifacts sometimes yeah, but swan song flusterstorm dispel and the occasional spell pierce and if you play a creature Do none of that represents yeah exactly <laughs> Whoops. Delay. None of that represents yeah. delay, counterspell, mana yeah. drain. I am jamming Get Rog into that I, so I may easily. cast a card that starts with A and ends with Demi... Atomy Rector? Academy Rector? Into that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. You got to... I had so many ways of countering non-creature spells, and you just had Academy Rector. But so then, kind of... Why why aren't things like so this kind of explains why things like Phyrexian Arena aren't gonna see play. Um but so then why why wouldn't things like uh I mean <laughs> there's so many strictly better college cards I'm gonna say why isn't cancel seeing play? No, we gotta, no, we gotta go with <laughs> the better there's ones. A, obviously exclude. lots of there you go. Yeah. Exclude, sure. Um but yeah, why 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 aren't these being played or yeah, there's a forbid. Crows and Ooh, Grip, actually, that's a good one. Crows and Grip is not a good well, one. It's a great there example. There are so many better functional cards. <laughs> um, but yeah, so why why doesn't three CMC interaction see much play? Well, because again, uh, I think like you have to once you get to three mana, you really have to be like considering cards that aren't necessarily cards that are situational. You, you want to be card. You want to be playing cards in three mana that are progressing your own game plan and are doing it very, very efficiently for the mana cost, and have, and are having sorry and are having a very high impact on the game. So when you're when you get to playing three mana interaction, you start playing these and not even really getting into the fact that you have to hold up three mana, which is like, bleh, I don't want to ever do that, um, but. Just the fact that you have these three mana cards in your deck that aren't necessarily guaranteed to do anything, even if your game plan goes 100% to plan, and you're you're hitting all your marks, the three mana interaction still isn't guaranteed isn't guaranteed to do anything. Your opponents may not just play anything into the interaction that you want to use it on. Yeah, so that's that's, I'll I'll I'll, I'll go with that. So, I think my theory for this is based a lot on what are how how often are you time walking yourself uh so if you're if you're playing your frex arena and holding up your your crappy interaction or, or you cast your frex arena and you don't have the interaction because there's so few of it 
if that if something happens or, or you're basically you're basically time walking or you're saying i'm gonna just let other people deal with whatever goes on so i can get my my uh my board developed a bit now if you're gonna do instead of looking at proactive cards you're gonna look at uh defensive cards reactive cards you're, you're kind of in the same boat where it's really hard to squeeze in on the fundamental turn something that both advances your board state while also being able to threaten the interaction right so on if you've got four mana on turn three you could develop a dark confidant and hold up a counter spell and slash threaten flash right now yes i suppose that if you're in uh songs green you could go turn two signet into turn three signet holding up a three mana in piece of interaction but you know relying on double signet or double signet into talisman or any of those combinations is not is not the most reliable game plan so you're a lot of the times if you're if you're committing yourself to uh holding up that interaction you're not going to have something to to develop your game plan and then if nothing happens if other people just spend their time casting you know are you going to waste your i'm saying cancel again because you know, exclude yeah, are exclude. you really going to cast a cancel on someone's uh <laughs> On, on someone's Ramanap Excavator? Dude, you could Are Probably you kidding me? not? <laughs> you used a creature instead of a non-creature? Come on. Like, are you are you really gonna are you really gonna do that? So while they're they're gonna develop all these or, or a dark confront, that's just such a low value target, right? No one's gonna no one's gonna jam openly into your interaction. So you really wanna be doing both. You wanna be developing your, your game plan and threatening interaction with your opponent's game plans. Otherwise, you are going to fall behind so fast. Yeah, holding up a lot of mana does, doesn't feel great. And you want to avoid doing it as much as possible. Ergo, don't play expensive I interaction. Think, I think also with with three mana interaction, the upsides it has over two mana interaction, I mean, first of all, Pretty much none of the three mana counter spells are actually better than mana drain. But even if we look at counter spell as our baseline, the you can do a lot more useful things with one extra mana on your turn than the scry one you get from dissolve. And like the reason people play two mana interaction over one mana interaction is because all of the one mana interaction is restricted. And the two mana interaction that sees play is typically quite unrestricted yeah um well all the all the ones that can counter creatures that also counter non-creatures do see play is that true like well no okay not all of them <laughs> like, just, i i <laughs> memory yeah. sturdy doesn't see play uh arcane now doesn't see play but for the most part anything that that even approximate even approximates counter spell sees play I'm still not sure that that's Here's true, but we'll, we'll, we'll glaze would over one, it. Would one blue-blue counter-target spell draw a card CCDH I was, play? I was thinking of saying the exact same <laughs> of course, thing. I, I feel like we've that. been working like, towards this the entire episode. This this, the, this, <laughs> this question is the locus of everything we've been working toward. Dude, this is a culmination of this entire podcast. <laughs> I have a follow-up question that I think is actually more interesting, though. Which is? Would you play? Would you, how, how many, many would you play? No, play? no, no, no. <laughs> um, how many more you have of the choice. Oh, no, you hold have up. The choice we, we, we have to answer the first question. Come on. 
Okay. All right. I would play it. I would no. play it in Brawl because you would play it anyway in Brawl. You play cancel sure. in Brawl. You play Dizzle. I'm not sure if you play cancel. Um. You play a couple cancel. Like cancels with yeah. upside. I might. I might play it in four color Ash me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd play it in four color Rashmi. I could see it in color restricted decks. Okay, and now you're. I think I'd play that card in exactly brawl. <laughs> <laughs> now here's here's the interesting follow up question, just about upsides versus extra mana. If you had the option, would you rather counter spell for a single blue, or blue blue counter target spell draw a card? Depends on the deck. For shuffle, I'd take the cash ball for one mana because that's nuts. Um, I think. I mean, they're both nuts. They're both nuts. <laughs> I just the so the mana efficiency matters to me more in aggressive decks. I think. Think about this. How many how many decks run don't run uh, mana drain? Wait, so, two. Do you run mana no. drain and shuffle? <laughs> Like <laughs> talking talk, talk to the hard person to your news. Counter spell for yeah. one blue. I, I don't know. I think I, that, that I makes the shit case pretty, for one blue. Like no every deck that runs that currently runs mana drain would also run counter spell for one blue. They would also all play but counter spell with a draw deck also, on though. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm saying that the decks that, that don't currently run mana drain all of them probably would run counterspell for one blue. Right. Okay, is so, there a deck where you would prefer the double blue counterspell that draws a card? I in a, in multiple, yeah. Yes, I I think there I think you can you can come up with decks where you'd prefer that for card advantage reasons, but I think just in terms of sheer playability that the for a single blue counterspell is the more playable one. Although really? this is a weird thing sure. to get bogged into. No, 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 let's get bogged into this. We have time to kill. Um, I really, because I know I, I really think that, like, in like everything, and like, okay, Shaper, I know you're listening to this. Don't get angry at me, because we've already had this, we've already had all of this over Banadrid and Domin's Veto. <laughs> um, aside from playing it in Shuffle, which I'm not sure that I would, I think I would play Counterspell with Draw Tact on over one mana Counterspell and probably every other deck that I play. Or have played. You're the. I think like it obviously makes sense in things like four color Rashmi that are very concerned I about would, card advantage. I mean that list includes Momir, which is certainly not like four color Rashmi. It, in I would definitely discussion. play no, in Momir. Really, you'd play that over yep. one mana counter spell. Um. Okay, I. I'll defer to you on that because I. I don't think I, I to, would. I have to go through and check the um, list that I play. God. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't run double blue draw card counter spell uh, over one mana counter spell in Zer. I think that might be the other one that I wouldn't play it in. I think, I think, like, would you play that in like cast? Cast is not so in cast. Like, I, I th so I think you know, drawing actually, a card. But I'm saying even still in cast, you're trying to win the game. You'd want your one mana blue counter spell because no, if you're recasting no, 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 no. from your grave that, or something, no, no. in, in cast, I'm definitely playing like, the cantrip counter spell. Yeah, I think I think 
Kess is a it's a very blue deck. I think like I Zer think I think is, specifically is blue, I think I would sure. only play the one mana one over the cantrip in Shimmer. I'm not sure that I'd do it in either Consult or even necessarily Doomsday. Shimmer lists are all consult. That's not. I mean, I mean, I mean, zero consult. All the decks are converging. <laughs> Be reasonable here. Work with me. <laughs> sure. But yeah, now we're just getting. That's stuck what the people in the weeds. are here for. Let's... I think if I was gold fishing a deck, I'd yeah, want the one mana counter spell. No, really? <laughs> what? No, you want, you want the kid? I think if I was a goldfish, you want to see, I would live you want in a so castle. that you can counter your own thing and draw a card. And gold fishing. Gotta dig more. Hmm. Right. Yeah, that is Let's true. That's the Taiga Marcane Denial special. Okay, I've uh, I have one more point against the two versus three mana interaction. Um that what what in my mind what stands out about two mana interaction is it covers um at least three turns where a three mana interaction pretty much only covers one, and then I'll go through the examples. So Turn two, you can tap and cast a two mana interaction spell. Turn three, you can tap and cast a two mana interaction spell, and you can, you know, do something with one mana. Turn four, you're looking at um, a two mana interaction spell and possibly a second two mana interaction spell because you have your your mana for it. And generally speaking, like I think there was kind like, and I think there was kind of a centralization on like interaction always working but i think in cdh it's a bit more complex like a single interaction spell especially past the you know the x turn is is not good enough you're definitely not safe that's why yeah yeah i would that's why i think two is just so much more powerful even at a diminished effect is because it can be paired with the second one and it's also effective on more like it just it it it's sort of like in reference to the speed of the format, right? Is it like the three meta one along with all that? Just like it hits just too late. Okay, now for everyone's favorite segment, gut check. Check your guts, folks. Just your belt. Gut check. Come on, where's, let's get all, let's get, check. yeah, thanks. There we go. Gut check. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so. If your life was on the line for a tournament of CDH, what deck would you bring? And does your answer change if it's only one game? Okay, I have my answer to the first half at least. I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I think I'm ready. Alright, multiple decks or mul- multiple rounds. I'll lock, I'll lock, lock it in. It in. Okay, cool, cool. Let's wait, wait. Let's... It's sorry. It's it's a it's a deck name and a boolean response, right? <laughs> yeah, <is laughs> for sure. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. No, no. Deck name, boolean response, and, and if, if yes, then something else. Would... Yeah. 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 Okay, got it. Okay, Matt. What's your answer? I'd bring the first sliver and no. Interesting. Morgan. Uh, Sacred Hulk and yes, Breakfast Hulk. <laughs> Uh, also Reed? sacred hulk yes peanut butter and jam uh and then for me you're gonna have to remind <laughs> me <laughs> uh 
Uh, Shuffle Hulk, and if it's only one game, I bring Get Rock. <laughs> Do it for the boys. <laughs> Do it for the server. Gotta rep them. Literally, <laughs> we'll, we'll take the L. We'll take the L for the server. More like I think that my odds of a single game playing out is is probably just my familiarity with the deck, and I would even consider it for the tournament. I guess maybe I should take a Thrasios Timna deck because it no, will be the last deck game I ever played Magic, <laughs> and I may as well at least play <laughs> that combination once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Before we wrap it up, let's get in some listener questions. Uh, so, Meepomatic, of course, all star, all star listener question asker Meepomatic asks: With the meta shifting heavily towards stacks or slower, more resilient decks, could there be an opportunity for faster all-in decks to capitalize? This is really it's on topic for this episode, isn't topic. it? So topical. Meep is the MVP. Okay, so <laughs> Meep 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 the best. Keeping keeping this show Keep alive with these listener questions. Yeah. So what do you guys what do you guys think? Um I'll let somebody else I'll let other people go first, but I have sort of a mixed response. Sure, I'll go first then. Um I think that there really isn't room or there isn't really an opportunity for faster all index because um, the quality of interaction um, that stops a fast deck is present in a slower stacks deck. Yeah, I get that. I feel that, actually. Retweet. I, <laughs> I kind of subscribe to that as like. well. If <laughs> the the decks that are, are, are built, if you if the meta the meta being more slow does not mean they're not running the interaction as matt said that's going to stop the faster decks so you're only just going to get wrecked when the games go along and unless you're able to really back yourself up which a lot of all in glass cannon decks can't do you're just not gonna you're not gonna cut it um actually i i like to add one condition which is um there i don't think there exists a deck that ha that has that property like there there could theoretically be a new deck, you know, a new commander, a new strategy, new combo that lets you do it, but there doesn't exist. I don't think there exists Re-evolve. that type of deck. Re-evolve. Yeah. As it stands. Yeah. Please. No, um, never. <laughs> um, never. <laughs> so, I I agree that I don't think there's a an opportunity for the sort of glass cannon decks that we were talking about earlier, like the Grenzos and the Salvalas to come back. Um, however, I do think somewhat, uh, slightly tangentially, I do think there is a bit of a meta opportunity for a little bit more greed. Like where you, on turn three, you don't go for the win, but you look to play a card that, like, can potentially represent a win over the long term. And it's just not quite scary enough to warrant a counterspell from somebody else. Yeah, like, I mean, Thran Dynamo is probably on the lower end of that echelon but like no 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 no, no, no that dino. Tide, certainly like the dino so what dude lab man that pass <laughs> yeah, dude fucking runic armor sword let's go dude oh, literally pulled dino. that shit there you go yeah yeah sorry yeah stuff like stuff like that where you just 
you're like on turn three, you're saying, okay, I'm going to play something that's good and represents a lot of advantage over the course of this game, but doesn't represent me winning so right now. Has an opportunity. So to what you're end saying, games, or like to win, is that we should you. all switch over to playing four color Rashmi, but without counter spells and just with more Phyrexian arenas. Uh, oh my god! I guess <laughs> what I'm saying is <laughs> playing. Maybe go test that out tomorrow. Um. So one thing, one thing I kind of want to just piggyback off this question as well is what meta is good well, for sorry, all in can class I, can I just get my, my two that I, I did have an actual oh, two cents you're, on you're, this not just yeah, memes sure. although that's the majority of my opinions at this point okay. in time um, I think I think the issue that you're going to have with trying to get under the interactive decks right now is that the reason the interactive decks exist is because there's already a thing on the bottom end of the spectrum that's getting under them right now and things called Hulk and it's really good and it's really good at getting under things and I don't think you're going to get it I don't think you're going to get under the control decks better than Hulk is going to get under the control decks necessarily personally well I think yeah so the the one potential case and like again this commander doesn't exist but like I'm picturing you know Vanifar with extra <laughs> color basically um, <laughs> is that Vanifar with haste is that yeah Vanifar sure Either one of those works. Um, Godo with blue. No, essentially just oh that, that. That's essentially just <laughs> that. Um, there are weaknesses you can attack in the interaction that people are playing. Creatures is a very notable one. The number of counter spells that actually hit creatures is quite limited, um, and burning force of wills on creatures is not a great time. Definitely never a good feeling. So an all-in deck that only had to use non-creature spells and potentially sort of front-loaded in the way that Vanifar does, where the hard part is not actually the combo turn, the hard part is playing Vanifar the turn before and having it live is almost a better strategy than trying to do everything all at once. So, so Bola. No, because <laughs> so Bola, you very much, you very much have to resolve... <laughs> A bunch of spells yes. on your combo yeah. turn with Silvala. In a way so, that you don't... Like, if you let the first Vanifar activation resolve, oftentimes you have already lost. Yeah, I don't think there's anything that... Um, the issue right now is, like, there's nothing that sufficiently gets under both non-creature counter magic as well as, like, Graven Hulkate. Hulk yeah, is the big one, right? Is like, to yeah. match Hulk speed, typically you have to go and play effects. Like, the way that you're getting... You have to you have to the, make a the deal way you're with the getting devil. close to flash speed without <laughs> playing flash is by playing cards that also lose to the same things that flash does for the most part. Like you're still losing to the Grafdigger's cage for a lot of these effects. So like you just it's it's so hard to match the speed while attacking on a different axis or meaningfully different axis for that case. Yeah. Now instead of talking about you know just all hypothetical commanders that that could fit this criteria what about the, the current glass cannon decks that do exist what kind of meta do they thrive in uh other glass cannon decks <laughs> i i don't think that there is a stable meta that they can thrive in um yeah i think i think the metas that they do best in are low blue metas which are not deck, stable for the most perhaps. part new undeveloped them. formats <laughs> no but i think i think like we've sort of moved if you look at even like the hulk decks 
from like where they are now from where they were shortly after the unban they've come up with just such like they can pile through a lot of stuff they can win at instant speed they can deal with drawing their hulk pieces and they still have room for like an ungodly number of interaction spells and i just can't see a meta where playing selvala is better than playing thrasios and timna flash Hulk. so or like a one where a meta where that is a stable equilibrium that can be reached i think i, I think yeah, like fair enough one of the ways that it happens is you get a bit too many frog players in the meta and then you just start you just start I jamming because you just get way under them Get Rog, get Rog is a very popular commander, and that is that is one way where you're going to be able to get your glass cannon decks to shine. Is if there's lots of frog decks, they do not interact. Well, it, it does depend. They can interact with artifacts and enchantments through, uh, uh, you know, uh, Assassin's Trophy, Abrupt Decay, uh, Nature's Claim, Natural State, which is that's a kind of standard package and cost a caterpillar as well. Sees, and that, sees that's not even necessarily like more cards, than so the average deck is playing for like removal anyway yeah no but i'm saying yeah so if you're if you're trying to be glass cannon on you know resolving something like an artifact or enchantment yeah maybe maybe that's not the best one but if you're like a, a deck that's mostly in on a, on a creature like i mean goto goto can be glass cannon but it also dodges helm the host dodges two out of those pieces so it's not that not that bad but yeah so if there's lots of frog glass cannon is is not the worst strategy but I think that there are better That's, strategies um, than yes. glass cannon if you're in a <laughs> yeah. meta with a ton We're, of yeah, frogs. But, but come on, yeah. Slee, we gotta give them something. We're not discussing what the best decks yes. for those metas are. We're discussing if glass cannon exists <laughs> in those metas. And the answer for that is yes. <laughs> Yeah, the best yeah. meta for a glass cannon. Yeah, and that's that's that meta. Um, okay, and our final listener question. Uh, what cards do not have reasonable financial replacements? Uh, and so... This is from listener, uh, our, our, this is a Patreon listener question, uh, from our IRL friend, uh, Tom. We play magic with him. Toe-MTG. <laughs> yeah. T-O-M-T-G. Uh, so, I mean, I'll, I'll kick things off with the most obvious one. Time Twister. Uh, there's no. Is that to even be the fair, most obvious one? I, to be but fair, I feel like that does have a reasonable reversal, financial replacement sort of now. <laughs> I, in like exactly scepter, like well, no, 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 dual scepter if, things. Like there's nothing that but does twister at, at the same rate. Th yes. th that does yes. everything that twister does at the same rate. Yeah, there's, like this, well, there's it's a loop piece. It's a wheel for for comboing with Narsa, Notion Thief. Uh, dump your hand, cast a or an early twister. Like nothing it, does that, but you can get decent budget replacements for, for either aspect. Either aspect, but not both. Yes, like I mean, Echo of Eons. Echo of Eons is the uh, closest, uh, or like probably that closer. one with. I think Echo of Eons. I think Echo of Eons is a very good replacement, but then you consider that a lot of ad nauseum decks. Yeah, or have to run you time also twister and then cost six mana. <laughs> what are you doing? Mm. 
but first you discard your hand of the, the lion's eye diamond. Yeah. Sorry, Reed, you said something else was a reasonable replacement, and I uh, didn't Spiral. know what it was. Spiral, spirals with the, the idea spiral. is with the okay. printing of Narset's reversal, if you're using it for... So Spiral effectively functions, and it's, it's hard to get off the ground and cast on like turn two, but it, it's reasonable as like a similar wheel effect. Um, and it also functions in the yeah. loop role as well with infinite mana now with Narcissus reversal. So it, it fills it. It's financial replacement yeah. in the relative yeah, sense. Not, <laughs> not, not an absolute sense there. That is still not a cheap card. <laughs> like, I think that also another way of looking at it is like, I, I don't think that I would run time twister in any, or sorry, time spiral in any deck just cause I was cutting no, you would be like playing I, the spiral I'd anyway. Rather is the point? Yeah. In sure, in mono blue yes. decks, I guess. Um. Funnily enough, you can I also think... say that cards that don't have reasonable financial replacements, a lot of it, a lot of it is going to come down to efficiency, right? Like grim monolith versus a basalt monolith. Like if you're willing to spend the extra mana, like you can get those effects. Now. So most there's there's lots of like easy slam dunk answers I think for these kind of questions like there's no really good replacement for chains of Mephistopheles or Bazaar of Baghdad and Gitrog. Just like you run whatever else you can, but you're not trying to emulate that effect. Um, but I was gonna say a, an interesting answer might be something like Mana Crypt. There is nothing that is gonna do what Mana Crypt does. Other than Soul Ring, which is already budget enough that really you're just be like a lot of the fast mana stuff, right? Because like those are all like fairly objectively like just like design mistakes that like just never really. But I mean, there's also like cards with novel effects like survival. Okay, okay. well, okay, this. survival right. before this lion, no, no. lion's eye okay. diamond. I can't interrupt. I gotta get out there before it gets named because that was mine. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew you guys were getting there. I'm not gonna let you get named before I can get it out. <laughs> Dude, uh, what if I use it with Arena Rector? Get you again and just fucking go for Tezzeret, it. Just keep going. Finds, Dude, uh, <laughs> you get really on a Dreadhorde General and just fucking get back your Hulk with the downtick oh, and you just nice. keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, yeah, so a lot of it, a lot of it is just efficiency. Like you're, you're, you, you need to maintain a certain level of efficiency in terms of your cards that you're going to include in your CDH deck. And unfortunately, a lot of those cost big monies. But you know, it doesn't cost big money. Printer paper, proxy and cards <laughs> are playing on, on cockatoo. Oh, I thought you were about to. I thought it was like, oh, did we finally get an affiliate link with someone? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! What does it cost big money? Hey, Amazon. If you're, uh, if you head if, over, if you're over get ten percent off of your bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know you want duels, but come to GP Las Vegas with us. <laughs> Actually, duels duels is an interesting uh, is an interesting one where in some decks they very much do have replacements, and in some decks they don't. Yeah. Um, like the most notable everything except high tide. <laughs> like I mean, even. <laughs> Not necessarily, like, I think even in Kess Consultation, like, I mean, I obviously play High Tide in my Kess deck, so it's particularly relevant to have islands, but in Kess Consultation, there isn't a, like, not having specifically Volcanic Island is a real problem in terms of what fetches get 
and like how you can use your fetches to get your access to your colors like enemy color duels with your primary yeah. color are very important for consistency because then your fetches are just like yeah, your, your red your fetches are just in, offline basically once you find if you're playing a good old brea world oh, yeah. combo you gotta, gotta have you gotta have them duels man <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> yeah. uh so i think that about wraps it up for this episode if you guys would like to reach out to us with any questions comments or concerns you can contact us on twitter at into the north pod via our email into the north podcast at gmail.com or on our discord server the invite link for which can be found in the description for this episode a special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and allow us to work towards improving the quality of the podcast if you too would like to become a patron we are at patreon.com slash into the north podcast as always Thank you to the band Vox Cadre for our lovely podcast music, to Nate Slover for our equally lovely podcast logo, and to our podcast editor, Roadkill. You're sick, dude. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> You're so sick, man. Yeah. Uh, next episode will be out in two weeks. Until then, see ya. Bye. See ya. Have a good one. <laughs>